Good morning, good morning. Good morning to two of you that uh, responded. You can always tell it's first service. You know, it's something about the first service. Stanley's coffee's just not really kicked into you yet, and that's okay. It's okay. We'll, uh, we'll keep you awake. For those of you that were watching playoff hockey last night, um, we will uh, we'll do our best to keep everybody awake. So, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. We just talked last week about two guys. Who did we talk about? Who was here? Timothy. I heard Timothy and Epaphroditus, right? We talked about these two guys, and we talked about how, why would Paul bring up Timothy and Epaphroditus? I mean, he had just talked about his example. He had just talked about the example of Jesus. Now, why are we hearing about Timothy and Epaphroditus? Well, because for us, you know, to to think about Paul, Right? To think about Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, persecuted the church, um, met Jesus, right? and, then, and, then, and then totally transformed, became one of the, arguably one of the greatest church planters of all time. We're, you know, all of those things, right? And then you look at Jesus, and He's Jesus. Right? I mean, I mean, even though as many times in Scriptures we're told imitate Christ, right? Especially my favorite, Ephesians 5.1, imitate Christ, therefore it's His dear children, it's Jesus. And we talked about last week how Paul writes about Timothy and he writes about Epaphroditus because they were common men. They were people that the church at Philippi would have said, you know what, Jesus, man, he's up here, Paul, he's up here, but Timothy and Epaphroditus, I babysat those guys. I could follow their example. I could do the things that they're doing. I could, you know, um, those are some examples that I can grab onto. You know, and so it was very valuable, very valuable. If you didn't hear the message last week, I encourage you to go back, check it out, because we dove into some really good things. And then Paul dives in here in Philippians chapter 3, um, and, he, and he's starting to close his letter down. He's starting to close his letter down. In fact, I've always thought it was funny. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, finally, but he's not even halfway done with his book. He's a good preacher. Have you ever been in those church services where you say, and I'm going to close with this, and then it goes on for another hour? Hey, stop that. No pointing fingers. Whenever you point a finger at somebody, you've got three pointing back at you. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to point all five that way. Okay, very good. Um, now, that, now that we did that. Um, but, but Paul, right, he says, finally. And so he's starting to kind of land the plane but he's got some other uh, issues. He's got some other mountains and some other things that the church of Philippi is um, going through that he needs to address. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now here comes some of the issues. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Here Paul is going to do a little bit of Christian smack talking, right? If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
That is a big verse in this section of Scripture. If you're taking notes, underline that, highlight that in your Bible. Verse 7 is a huge transition verse for this passage of Scripture. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's a big statement there. I can't wait to come back and dive into this. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everybody say rubbish. Rubbish. All right, we're going to talk about that word too. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Deep breath. Man, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. The the biggest, the main point, the the overarching umbrella that I want us to kind of talk about today, and everything else that we're going to talk about kind of falls under this main point. That knowing Jesus causes us to let go of all things and gain righteousness, power, and life. That it's about knowing Jesus. Because because here's the reality. For far too long, we've thought that knowing Jesus or becoming a good church person or becoming a good Christian had to do with more things on the list. Had to do with more checkboxes to check off. Right? Okay, I went to church. Check. I went to that monthly Bible study. You know, it happens every week, but I went my once a month. Check, you know. I did my once a month prayer meeting. Check. I had somebody over to the house for my once a quarter dinner, good deed, made them dinner. Check, right? You know, and, and all these different things, right? I served in the nursery for my once a year. Check, you know. I did, you know, all of these things. I, I handed out bulletins. I did this. Check, you know. I went over and I mowed the grass. Check. I went over and I did this. Check, you know. And, and so, and so this, this becomes more of a per- performance-based list that we just check off these boxes. And Paul uses some pretty strong language here. Right? He uses some pretty strong language here in this passage. I count all those things that I gained as lost. What did he gain? I mean, look at his list. Look at his laundry list of things that he had gained. I mean, he had social status. He had family status. He had all of these different things that he, a moral status that he had accumulated over time that he was born into, that he had, that had been kind of accredited to his account. You know, all of the things that we work for on a day-to-day basis, you know, he had gained. And, he, and, and like I said, he even does some Christian church smack talking here where he says, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Bring it. Look at my list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, most not, you know, best of the best. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He had a past. And he says, I, you know, my past is unmatched. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
blameless as to righteousness under the law, as to legalistic righteousness, blameless. He says, bring your list. Let's compare. I have more. But then as I said, look at verse 7, transitions the whole thing. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of of Christ. What's Paul saying there? He says anything that he had personally gained, anything that was accredited to him for family history, for past experiences, for any achievements, anywhere, any place where he climbed the social ladder, the moral ladder, the business, any, anything like that where he gained the food chain, grew on the food chain, whatever, he counted loss for the sake of Christ. He goes on a little bit. End of verse 8, he says, For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. And then he goes on to use even stronger language. Count them as rubbish. Now, now this, this word here, and I, and I kind of wrestled a little bit with whether or not to, to go here, but I think first service can handle. We might, we might not go here second service, but I think you have the maturity to handle because I want you to know the extreme language that Paul is using here when he talks about all the things that he had gained. This Greek word rubbish here literally means dung. Literally. So what Paul is saying here is all of those things that that I counted as gain are essentially of value, the same value as a dirty diaper. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, all of these things, my moral status, my social status, the number of followers I have on Instabook, the number of friends that I have on Facegram, you know, all of these different things, all of these different social statuses, I just confused like 90% of the people in this room. Second service is really going to get that. You guys are like, what is Facegram? Anyway, um, all of those things, he says, I count them as dung. I count them as rubbish. They're of zero value. Zero. Zero value. Scum on the bottom of my shoe. They count nothing. Yet here's my question for us today as we're transitioning into this, is how much of our lives do we pour into the things that Paul counted rubbish? How much of our lives do we pour into our careers? Well, Pat, Pastor, I mean, I got to put dinner on the table. Listen, and I get it because, you know, Paul says later in Scripture, I believe it's Paul, that if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Right? So I get that part. I get that piece, right? But, it, but, but we, we have to have that in perspective of the greater thing that we're going to be talking about here. Right? Right? And so how much of our lives do we pour into our careers? How much of our lives do we pour into relationships that are surface level? Social status. How much of our lives, here's one that kind of hurts a little bit, may even sting a little bit for some of us, because how much of our lives do we pour in to being good? Just being good. Just being good. Just being good. Like I think, I think our churches, and one of the things that, that scares me to the core, like literally almost every Sunday morning makes me tremble, is that a lot of our churches, and a lot of our churches today, we have people that are teaching Sunday school classes, that are singing on stages, that are even standing in pulpits, that are teaching kids, that are doing all of these things, not 
for the for the for the for, for gaining knowledge of Jesus, but for checking a flipping box. Because they want people to think, and they even want to make themselves think, okay, I can live however I want to during the week, but I teach this Sunday school class, so therefore I'm not the best, but I'm good enough. And that's a scary thing. To me, that is a scary place to be. May I never, may we as Summit Church never Place the bar at good enough. But I fear that so many people fill these slots, fill these Bible study leader positions, fill all of these areas that are just trying to say, you know what? I'm just trying to be good enough. I'm just trying to check a box. Just trying to do these things. Amen. Have you seen that? How tragic. How tragic that that's become the bar. Maybe that's maybe that's the whole point of the book of Philippians for Paul to this church at Philippi. Hey, hey, listen, all these temptations are around you. All of these things are coming at you. You know, you got conflict, you got this, you got that, you got dogs that are trying to that are trying to distract you, that are trying to get you to, to teach this false doctrine. You got all these things, you got a you got an inner church conflict that we're going to talk about in, in chapter four. You got all of you got all of these things happening that's taking your attention away from striving for God's best and you're settling for good enough. Don't settle for good enough. And so Paul talks about three things here from verses 7 through 11 that I want us to really capture. But, but I thought for us to really understand the heart of where Paul is going, we had to recognize that, that if, anybody, if anybody wanted to bring a resume to him, Paul said, no, 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 listen, let's stack your resume up against mine. But yet all the things that I could list in that resume, Hebrew of Hebrews, a persecutor of the church, you know, as to zeal, uh, you know, as to all of these things of Pharisee, right? Uh, you know, you want to stack your resume up to mine? All of these things, loss. Rubbish. In comparison to what? Number one, if you're taking notes. Again, knowing Jesus causes us to let go of all things and gain righteousness, power, and life. Number one, if we're going uh, to lose the list, and if we're going to gain Jesus, if we're going to gain Christ, the number one, losing lists, knowing Christ. Look at what he says there. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count all of these things lost. Why? Because I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Over, over and again, the false teachers, the dogs that you, you know, that, that Paul talks about here, um, that, that, that earn their standing, right? Paul, Paul gives a grocery list, a laundry list of his qualifications to be the awesomest, right? Is that a word, awesomest? Most awesome? Right? Awesomest. We'll, we'll, we'll create it. Right? Most righteous Jew on the planet. Right? He does it as a trump card to show that if, that if anyone could do anything, it would be him. 
It would be him. And then he uses some accounting terminology. My father was an accountant, so he gets it, right? And it says that, 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 that these things that were once assets were, actually became liabilities. These things that he gained, these things that he inherited, these things that he had weren't actually assets. They were liabilities to him knowing Jesus because the most important thing for him was to know Jesus. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and get this, knows me. Knows me. Knows me. Jeremiah says, listen, if you're going to boast about anything, if you're going to, you know, he's quoting the Lord here, right? If you're going to boast about anything, let him boast that you understand and know me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. John 17.3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, listen, this grocery list, this laundry list of things that I've inherited, that I've, that I've gained, we can throw it in the fire. We can throw it in the fire because it's rubbish. It's a dirty diaper in comparison to knowing Jesus. He says the most important thing is to know Jesus. As a staff, over the last couple months, full disclosure, full disclosure as a staff, and some of the staff may laugh at this. Hopefully they laugh at this and don't cry like I'm tempted to it from time to time. But as a, as a staff at Summit Church over the last couple of months, um, we've been in new territory, right? <laughs> you know, we merged and, and, uh, and we've been in new territory. We've been trying to basically do different things. And one of the biggest questions in staff meeting over the last couple of months has been this. What should I be doing? <laughs> Sounds pretty simple, right? And some of you could probably say, well, I could give you about 20 things to do, and I'm sure you could, but we'll get to that, okay? Maybe in 2019. Um, but anyway, um, but one of the biggest questions that we've been kind of looking around at each other and saying, okay, you know, um, what, what, are, what, what do I need to be doing? How do I need to be serving someone? How do I need to be doing this? And, 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 and all of that. And, and kind of one of the biggest things that I've seen from the book of Philippians and just in my, in my time in the Word, that for all of us, no matter our position in the church, no matter our position in life, but I said this to the staff this past Wednesday, I said for all of us, for all of us on this staff and for all of us in the room, this room, I believe this, that the number one thing on your job description of life ought to be this, follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus. That, that, that if nothing else, if nothing else, if nothing else for you, if nothing else for me, at the end of the day, we ought to be able to say, you know what? You know what? How did I follow Jesus? Because, because at the end of the day, that is the most important thing that any of us can do because everything, everything, any gain that we have, we count as loss unless we're knowing Christ more. But here's the thing. Here's the enemy to that, right? Here's the enemy to that. We live... We live, now, now, and I'm not one to you know, always 
paint a bleak picture and complain about cultural you know, stuff, right, in society. You know, I kind of I hate, uh, you know, when we use that as a, as a trump card, right? But, but our culture, wah, right? But, but, but here's the thing, because I always believe that God's still on the throne and He's bigger than anything that's happening in culture, so we shouldn't use those things as excuses, right? Because we serve a God that's never changed. All right, anyway, off that soapbox. We live in a performance-based society. We live in a performance-based society. I mean, think about it. Our jobs, raises, positions, promotions, climbing the ladder, education, grades, graduations, Latin names at the end of a degree, and anything that ends a, uh, in you know, student of the month or, um, you know, I forget what they have at, at, at my kid's school, but a student of the code, I think it is, every, every month. You know, sports, positions, batting order, playtime, right? Everybody's got to play the same amount um, you know, different things, minor leagues, MVPs, win-loss records, credit scores, reputation, industries like performing arts, politics, even some relationships that are all based on performance. But when you think about Jesus, the exact opposite is true. It's not based on performance. It's based on grace. We're not to strive to have a checklist of things that are to be done to be saved or or, 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 or uh, you know, um, stay saved or to be a good Christian. Again, that shouldn't be our bar. Nor, get this, get this, because this is a huge temptation and I see this happening at the Church of Philippi, nor do we impose our lists or those lists on other people. You want a church conflict? Try to place your convictions on the person across the aisle. Just like Paul, our view of our lists that we've compiled, that we think generate value or growth or good enough, we should see as a liability. And go as far as to repent of their position in our lives because we've aimed and we've put so much stock and we've put so much investment into growing in these areas that chances are we've neglected knowing Christ. We've neglected growing in our relationship with Jesus because we've tried to do all of these things. For, for far too long, and I read this quote yesterday, for far too long I've fallen into this trap, and I know many others have fallen into this trap when it comes to ministry, that, that our ministry is defined by keeping people happy. Keeping people happy. If we can just keep people happy, if we can just keep people around, if we can just keep people happy, then, that, then, then, then I've succeeded. Check that box. Gut level honesty, that's exhausting. I mean, how much investment do you make, moms, dads, in keeping everybody in your family happy at Thanksgiving, Christmas? I, I know our Grammy, she has to make at least four pies at Thanksgiving. She's got to have a chocolate pie, she's got to have a pumpkin pie, and then for me, just me, she's got to have that pecan pie. Um, and, and then there's, there's, one, there's a, uh, um, anyway, you get the picture. 
I forget the fourth one because I don't even touch it. Mine's the pecan pie, right? Just bypass turkey, dressing, all of those things, straight to pecan pie, right? Warm it up with a little bit of vanilla ice cream. Hallelujah. Anyway. <laughs> Thanksgiving can't come soon enough. Anyway. But Chuck Colson says this. I quoted him last week, I think, too. That the aim of the church should not be to keep people happy, but to make people holy. The aim of the church is not people's happiness. The aim of the church is people's holiness. That's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, he's saying listen, listen, that list, lose the list. Know Jesus. Lose the list. Stop worrying about social status. Stop worrying about your, your, you know, climbing the, the ladders in all of these different areas. Stop thinking about being good enough. Just know Jesus because you can't go wrong. It's not about our happiness. It's about our holiness. Number two. Number two. Losing hope in ourselves and trusting that Jesus brings hope. What Paul is getting at here is that righteousness of Jesus is what's valued. The righteousness of Jesus is what's important, not our righteousness. That we don't focus on the hope that we bring or the hope that we generate, but that we focus on the hope that is found in trusting Jesus. Look at verse 9. He says, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from these lists, that comes from this good enough mentality, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul continues off this example that he wants to set for the church at Philippi, but he furthers, get this, he furthers the relational emphasis. He says he wants to be found in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Get that. He's talking about Jesus, right? For our sake He made Him, being Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin because Jesus was perfect, right? He was sinless. He didn't know sin. So that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you something, church. If you were raised in church like me, if I was basically born in the choir loft. Southern Pines United Methodist Church in Southern Pines, North Carolina. And I was raised... I was raised in the in the. I mean, I was. We we're going to do a baby dedication in the second service of, of of Ezra and Vera, our two youngest kids. I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. But I was. I was raised kind of in that performance based. Right. I earn righteousness. I earn righteousness by singing in the choir. You know, once a quarter when they do the kids sing. Even though I've never did any of the rehearsals, never did any of the practices. They, my parents would just usher me up there and say, "It's okay. Just lip sync watermelon. It's okay. Just get up there. Just you'll be fine. Just lip sync watermelon." You'll be fine. Get up there. You know, I, I, I learned performance-based Christianity by reciting the Lord's Prayer and getting a Tootsie Pop that I couldn't eat during church. I had to keep it in my pocket, which you want to talk about temptation? Whew. Sitting through an entire church service with a Tootsie Pop in your pocket knowing that you can't touch it until the end of church. That, my friend, 
is some serious temptation. But we instill these things. We instill these things because it's so important for us. Not only are we performance-based, but we're, we, we're measurement-based. We're number-based. We gotta, we, you know, in order to have growth, we've got to be able to measure it. We've got to be able to count it. We've got to be able to see. We've got to be able to see the progress. I mean, Paul tells Timothy, right? Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. We've got to be able to measure progress. And in every area of our life, we're able to measure progress. We can see how much of the grass has been mowed. We can see how much of the room's been cleaned. We can see how many uh, rooms of the building's been built. We can see how many emails we've responded to. We can see all of these different things. We can measure all of these different progresses. But when it comes to our knowing Jesus, when it comes to knowing Him, that progress isn't as measurable for other people to see. And so we've got we've to do these external things to show that this internal progress. Let me tell you something. When I stop trying is usually when the most progress happens. When I stop trying to prove to people, you know what, hey, check this out, get this, is usually when the most progress happens. The loudest people are usually trying to cover things up. Their lack of progress. And so not only, not only do we need to lose our list, but we've got to lose the measurements. We've got to lose the measurements. Paul, Paul says, listen, listen, listen. And to be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from knowing this, that comes from doing this, that comes from wearing that, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And number three, look at verses 10 and 11, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul talks about losing our lists, knowing Jesus personally deeper. He talks about losing hope in ourselves, stop trying to gain this righteousness, but trusting that Jesus brings the hope, brings righteousness, that we do that through Him. Then number three, we lose our lives. He's talking about losing our life to find true life in Jesus. I can't tell you the number of people that I come in contact with. I can't tell you the number of people that I rub elbows with all of the time that are trying to find life anywhere. Anywhere else than Christ and His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul stresses yet again here that I may, what's that? Know Him. That I may know Him. We've been um, getting to know a lot of you. We were in a uh, living room on, on Friday night eating some great food, getting to know each of you, and it's been awesome. You know, and to know somebody, right? To know somebody, it takes time. To know someone, it takes energy, 
right? To know someone, it takes effort, right? So my question for you this morning is how are you getting to know Jesus? What time are you taking to get to know Jesus? What energy are you expending to get to know Jesus? What effort are you placing into knowing Jesus? Not just showing up so you can check a box, but effort into knowing Jesus. Because it would be an utter waste of time to show up here Sunday after Sunday and walk out unchanged. That's not why we do this. That's not why we do this. This isn't a performance. I don't, I don't get up here for my good. I, I don't really like talking this much. You should see me Sunday afternoons. I'm miserable to be around. Ask Kristen and the kids, man. This, this you know, one, one guy, they did like a sports EQ thing on preachers. The equivalent to preaching one sermon a Sunday is equivalent to the body is eight hours of laying brick. Eight hours. And so, man, Sunday afternoons, I'm dead. I love going to ice cream on Sunday nights, BTW, because it's just like, I'm just feeling, anyway, whatever. You know? I, I don't do this for my good. I don't do this for, for performance. These guys don't get up here because they're, they're trying to be on American Idol. Although Dylan really should go to The Voice. But, um, but, but they're, 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 they're not up here. They're not up here for performance. They're not up here to try to impress you. They're not up here. They're, you know, we're, we didn't, we're not doing this. We're not doing this for performance. We're not do, listen, we're doing this for life change. We're doing this for life change. What's the time, the energy, and the effort that you're putting into knowing Jesus? And let's lose the lists. Let's lose the measurements in trying to generate this growth and generate this righteousness in ourselves. And let's lose this, this, this life that we're trying to build for ourselves. And let's gain the knowledge of Jesus. The worship team is going to come. My question for us as we close what would it look like in our lives to treasure Jesus above everything else that this world has to offer? What would it look like in your life today? What changes would happen? What changes would happen in your life today if you were to walk out of this room, have it, get in your car, because that's what, your, that's what our kids are learning this morning. Our kindergarten through fifth graders, they're learning... They're learning about the importance of valuing other people, of putting other people in front of themselves, and how at, at their age they can achieve those things and they can, they, can, they can get to those things, right? Because we're never too young, okay? But, but, but what would it look like? What would it look like if your life changed and before you left this parking lot, you thought of one or two things that you could do to treasure Jesus in your life above everything else? To put Jesus in front of your kids. That's a tough one. That's a hard one. Put Jesus in front of your marriage. The temptation right there was just to elbow your spouse and say, don't you dare. Don't you put anything in front of me. Right? Because that's what culture teaches us. Right? Don't, 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 don't you dare put anything in front of me. Right? Don't you dare put anything in front of our kids. What does it look like to put Jesus in front of your marriage? What does it look like to put Jesus in front of your kids? What does it look like to put Jesus in front of your work?
your career, your to-do list? What does it look like? And for some of us, that's super hard. It's extremely hard. But I believe that's the heart of Paul here. Because if you don't put Jesus in front of those things, I think you're actually in more danger of losing them than if you do put Jesus in front of those things. That was good right there. If you don't put Jesus in front of those things, you're more in danger of losing them than if you do. Will you pray with me?